Dear Father, our words are destructive, but your words are life-giving. Our words hurt our neck, but yours are powerful for salvation. So help me now to preach your life-giving word faithfully. And as we listen, may your spirit change our hearts, so that from our hearts come a river of pure and honourable speech to the glory of your name. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Or do your words reflect a heart that loves God? Do your words reflect a heart that loves God? My guess is that most of us don't spend much time thinking about how we speak. We probably spend as much time doing that as we do thinking about how to shower or how to wash the dishes. Uh, of course, those are essential things. I hope none of us are ignoring showering or washing up. But we rarely stop to think about those uh, things. And I think it's often like that with our speech as well. Normally, we just say the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, we rarely stop to think, you know, is this gossip? Is this true? Is this encouraging? Is this helpful? Uh, and so on. And so when we're frustrated about something that's happening here in St. Nicholas' home, or we're disappointed with our family for not visiting again, or one of our colleagues is being difficult, or uh, whatever it is, we don't usually think much about what we should say, because it all just comes out like a river. And I think often we underestimate the power and importance of our words, uh, their destructiveness, their ability to hurt other people. But James doesn't want us to do that here. He wants us to see that it's crucial that the gospel not only changes our heads and our hearts, but that flows through into how we speak as well, so that we are so transformed by the gift of salvation God has given us that our speech is renewed and shines forth his glory. So James wrote in chapter 1, verse 26, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Look, you can visit all the orphanages you want, you can give all the money to charity you want, and so on. But if you can't control your tongue, it's a waste of time, all of it. We shouldn't be deceived. If our speech doesn't match our faith, then we're self-deceived. Our religion is a waste of time. True faith results in renewed speech. So I think we need to be quick to listen, slow to speak this morning, uh, and listen to God's word to us. There's three points, we'll go through each of them. Our speech is powerful, our speech is dangerous, and our speech reflects our heart. So firstly, our speech is powerful. Uh, and James introduces the topic by talking about the seriousness of teaching. Verse 1, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, that's one of the scariest verses in the Bible to preach as a pastor. But it's saying that, that, that preachers, teachers, have a very important role in the church uh, because the message of the gospel is not something that can be just made up by our own human wisdom. It, it has to be taught to us by others. And teaching is a noble task. It carries with it great authority and respect. But it is also a great responsibility 
as well. And, and perhaps in James's day, just like in our day, there are people who wanted to be teachers in God's church uh, because of the status that was attached to it, because they wanted the honor and respect, they wanted people to you know, greet them with various titles or whatever it was. But James is quick to warn us here about the seriousness of teaching. The Bible teacher will be held accountable to God. They will be judged with greater strictness than everyone else. And a failure to be faithful will attract a more severe penalty. As Jesus says elsewhere, to whom the one who is given much, much will be required. Now, of course, that doesn't mean we should dissuade people from becoming uh, Bible teachers or pastors. The church desperately needs people who will faithfully teach and preach the gospel. But it does mean that such people should be tested before they enter the ministry. Uh, they shouldn't be allowed to do so without being properly taught God's word. And it also means that we as a congregation should make sure we're listening carefully to what they are saying that we are not led astray if they get something wrong. So why is this? He brings up this example because teaching and speaking is a very dangerous business. He says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man and also able to bridle his whole body. So sin is a universal human experience. It takes all forms. Some of us struggle with grief. Some of us struggle with pride. Some of us struggle with being impatient or being angry with others. Some of us are given to deception. But no matter what our particular struggle is as a Christian, there is all, there's one sin that we all share, and that is sinning with our speech. Twisting the truth, harmful gossips, impure jokes, biting words, slanderous words, if the lion is the king of the jungle, James is saying the tongue is the king of the body. So difficult is the mouth to control, so given to false and biting words, so prone to stay open when it should be shut, that not to sin in speech would demand a perfect life. And that's why James is ultimately writing this letter. He says in chapter 1 verse 4, that he wants us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But we cannot live perfect and complete Christian life until we learn to control our tongue. Now, James gives two examples here of how influential or powerful the tongue is. Verse 3, he says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and driven by strong winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the pilot uh, directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. In both examples, we have a small object controlling a large body with just a very small thing, the bit in the mouth of the horse. You can direct it where you wish. Uh, similarly with the ships, we have some big cruise ships that come here uh, into Penang. The rudder of those ships is very small, can turn that whole ship the direction the captain wants. I think it's so easy to underestimate the power of our speech. But James warns us, be very careful. It can determine the whole course of our life 
whether it takes its God-given, divinely charted course, or we end up on the rocks with a worthless, a religion worthless, and our faith empty. So secondly, we see in this passage that our speech is dangerous. Our speech is dangerous. Our speech can destroy lives like a blazing fire. Verse 5 says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. So I guess James wants to open our eyes that we can see the true nature of our tongues. And the image he uses here is that of of a fire. Now many of us know right now over in Europe, the wildfires are blazing away. Greece, Spain, Italy, France, absolute destruction in in, in in the wake of the biggest heat wave Europe has seen in a very, very long time. I was told in some places the temperature reached over 45 degrees. James tells us the tongue is a scorching fire with an enormous capacity to destroy the lives of everyone who comes into contact. It's true, isn't it? A throwaway comment can be remembered for a lifetime. You're good for nothing. I wish I never married you. Hate you. Those are words you will never ever forget. Try as you may. I still uh, remember vividly some of the words with which I was teased in primary school. I won't tell you what they were. I still remember some honest words by a former church leader of mine. A few words can cause great damage. Our tongues are immensely powerful. We better not underestimate. He gives us four reasons why our tongue is so dangerous. Firstly, the character of our tongue. He says in verse 6 that the tongue is a world of unrighteousness. And what he means is that the tongue is the focal point of all the evil that is within us. Our words reveal all the other sins in our life. The selfishness, the pride, the anger, the bitterness, the envy, whatever other evils that are in us. They're all expressed through the tongue, through the words that we that we speak. In other words, the tongue is the gateway to the soul. Our evil, our every evil is expressed with our words. Secondly, he talks about the corruption of the tongue. He says the tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body. In other words, everywhere the tongue makes its presence felt, it leaves its stain. Perhaps you've uh, met someone who speaks in rather unpleasant ways. They swear, maybe, they complain, uh, they tell uh, crude jokes, they put other people down. Maybe you've met someone like that. You can't help but see the whole person in the light of their words. You can't help but judge their entire character by those words that they speak. Their unrighteous speech reveals their unrighteous heart. And it's the same for us, too. The way that we speak can destroy our character. It can tarnish our good reputation. And it won't matter what are the other, all the other things that we did. Our words will destroy our whole career. There's one of the Formula One, you know, Formula Two drivers, you know, getting ready for Formula One. And he made some racist comments while he was streaming his, you know, driving online. 
and his whole contract and career was cancelled. Just a few words. All his other achievements, nothing. God wants us to be pure and undefiled in our religion. He wants us to keep ourselves unstained from the world. That means we need to control our tongue. Thirdly, the influence of the tongue. James says in verse 6, our fiery tongues set on fire the entire course of life. What he means is that our tongues don't just destroy our character in the present, but they can destroy our past and our future too. John Calvin said this, our vices are corrected by age or by process, uh, our, our vices aren't corrected by age or process of time. They drop off from our lives, but from earliest to latest days, the destructive influence of the tongue remains. What he means is this, whether you're a child complaining and whinging, an adolescent who's teasing others at school, a parent who gets enraged at their children, a worker who boasts about their achievements, a friend who gossips, a retiree who's bitter, or a grumpy man, old man in a nursing home. The tongue's fiery, destructive power affects all human beings from birth to death. The destiny of the tongue. James says in verse 6, not only does it set on fire the entire course of life, but the tongue itself is set on fire by hell. Hell is the place of fire, of course, in the Bible. And James sees the fires of hell reaching to our tongues, burning so brightly when we speak. In other words, a fiery tongue reflects the character of Satan himself. And one day, a fiery tongue will join Satan in the fires of hell. So we need to, to put out the fire, if you like, before our fiery tongues destroy our lives. The question is how? How can such a powerful, dangerous thing as our speech be brought under control? It's a very difficult thing to do. Verse 7 says, every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. I wonder how many of you have heard of uh, Steve Irwin, the famous Australian animal tamer. Has anyone heard of him before? It's a, it's a few years ago now. He would swim with sharks. He would wrestle with crocodiles, he would dance with snakes, and so on. If, if humanity was made to rule over the created world, he was a master at it with the animals. It's true, humans have zoos, isn't it? Full of animals, horses to ride, dogs to be our pets, parrots even, who will talk to us. But even the great Steve Irwin tragically met his fate with a giant stingray, which ended up killing him. So with our tongues, how can they be tamed? How can the fire be distinguished? They cannot stop spewing forth evil. As if it's a half-tamed beast that you can discipline for a short time and then it suddenly turns savage again. I'm sure we can understand from personal experience how accurate James' assessment of our speech is here. And then as you look back on your life, how many words have you said that you wish you could undo, but you know that you can't? 
failure, speaking to you again, such a disappointment, whatever. It's not just the outbursts. James talks about all kinds of sins in this book, fights and quarrels, speaking evil against another person, arrogance and boasting, grumbling about others, uh, and lies as well. All of these things stain uh, our lives. How can we bring these things under control? I thought I'd just pick two to think a little bit more about today. Firstly, James talks in this book about grumbling. It says in chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. It's easy to get into the habit of grumbling, isn't it? Grumbling about the illnesses that I'm carrying with me, or the family that doesn't visit me, or the food that I have to eat every day, or the mistakes of the government, we love grumbling about that, uh, or money running short, or the, you know, the, how annoying our fellow residents are. You never said, you never did that, would you? Uh, we, we're so given to grumbling, just like Israel grumbled in the wilderness. But God's judgment came upon them. The Pharisees grumbled against Christ, he denounced them as hypocrites. And we're told here that Christians can be judged too if they're grumblers. Then the slander, James says in chapter 4, verse 11, don't speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Again, it's very easy to spread gossip or malicious words about other people, isn't it? To ruin their reputation. I'm told that if you're Sight is weak. Your ears are very strong. Um, and when you hear a lot of things, it means you can speak a lot of things too, isn't it? We must beware of speaking evil against other people, passing judgment, spreading gossip. I think that happens a lot. So as we come to the end of this passage, I think James shows us the way forward. And that is our speech reflects our hearts. Our speech reflects our hearts. Uh, the problem often is that we don't speak according to who God has made us to be. We say that we are Christians loved by the Lord, but our speech says something otherwise. It's divided, if you like. So it says in verse 9, Our tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, with it we curse people made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. So on the one hand, we can come to church or chapel like this and we can sing all those wonderful songs and pray to God later on and, and even talk uh, you know, over morning tea later or something like that. And we can go back and do all those other vicious things with our tongue afterwards, grumbling, complaining, criticizing, discouraging, it's, it's a terrible hypocrisy, isn't it? James says these things ought not to be so. So I hope you can feel the tension here. How can we progress? If it's really so restless and so evil and we're so prone to these things, how can our speech be anything other than divine? The bar is so high. Now, remember, James is not advocating a works approach to salvation here. He's not saying, well, you can only go to heaven if you can speak perfect words to other people. 
What James is really concerned about here is that how we speak reflects who we are. Our speech reflects our hearts. There's no division between what's on the outside and what's on the inside. In other words, we're not hypocrites. And so the last few illustrations take us to the core of the problem and the way forward. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, their olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's two examples where one thing cannot produce two things at the same time. The stream can't have salt water and fresh water at the same time, and you can't plant durian tree and get mango seeds growing from it. And that brings us to the heart of the issue. Just as a water, a stream will, the water from a stream will reflect its source, the fruit from a tree will reflect the type of tree that it is. So our speech reflects our hearts. James has got this teaching straight from Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew 12, either make the tree good and its fruit good, Make the tree bad, it's fruit bad. The tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So you see what Jesus is saying? If we're not speaking good things on the outside, then the reason must be there's something wrong with our hearts. <laughs> On the inside, our tongue, our speech, is only a reflection of who we are inside. And Jesus continues, therefore, in that passage, some scary words. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. He's saying because our words reflect who we really are, they can be the basis of God's judgment against us will be held account for every careless word we've spoken. And so the solution, therefore, is not simply to try harder. You know, I'm going I'm to speak better today. I'm going to work really hard to think before I speak. You, you can't tame an unruly tongue by trying harder, by a bit more self-discipline, a bit more moral effort. You will not succeed. We must address the disease and not just the symptoms. The solution is that our hearts need to change. And if that's going to happen, what we need is our hearts transformed by the gospel. We don't need a tongue operation. James says in chapter 1, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That implanted word is talking about is the gospel of grace. And that gospel is not only able to save us, it's able to change our hearts from within. And so if we have a problem with our speech, what we need to do is hear again the gospel of grace. Remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Peter tells us in 
one hitherto. He committed no sin, neither was any deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He was the one person that spoke lightly, even under uh, the false accusations in his trials. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. See, on the cross, Jesus takes the punishment that we deserve, God's anger for our bad speech, he's wounded so that we can be healed. And if our hearts are to be changed, and if our speech is to be purified, then we need to receive that encounter to remember again what our Saviour has done for us. Then and only then, as our hearts is changed, and true faith dwells in our hearts, and we begin to speak differently. So uh, as this morning, I guess as you go from here and reflect, reflect on your speech, you think, I need to change a few things about how I speak, to make sure you focus on the real problem, the problem in the heart. But don't despair, because Jesus died so that our hearts can be and from a cleansed heart that loves God, will pour forth pure words, loving words, painful, contented, encouraging words, words that flow from faith, words that display the glory of God in the world. Come back to, to Jesus and the gospel and then speak differently. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the good news of the gospel, that although our hearts are blank with sin, our words are unruly fire. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus, our Savior, died for us on the cross to wash us clean. Lord, we want to confess to you our sins. We want to confess that we have sinned against you, against our neighbor in thought, speech, and action. Please forgive us. By your Holy Spirit, change us. Renew our hearts so that our speech also may be purified and we would live and speak in hearts that reflect who we truly to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.